Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of MSTA Presents. We have been off for most of the summer getting ready for back-to-school events, um, and things have started right up. We had our leadership conference last week, and that went very well. And this week, we decided it's time to uh, to get back and, and do the show. And so I have with me Matt Michelson. He's our Director of Education Policy, and we have invited Daryl Snyder, Daryl is our the executive director of PSRS Peers, and Daryl, thank you for being here today. Absolutely, thank you. We do not apologize for the air conditioning sound in the background because it is 8:30 a.m. and there is a, a already heat out there, so you will just have to deal with that sound. Um, but what we wanted to talk about today is uh, a little bit about some of the legislation and some of the things that have changed um, for retirement in, in PSRS and Peers. Uh, before we do that, though, I think it's always important to talk a little bit about PSRS peers and, and, and what they do. I know we, you and I talked yeah. about that last time, but just a brief overview before we get into the, the specifics. Yeah, you know, we are so fortunate in the state of Missouri to have uh, a number of excellent retirement systems. But with PSRS uh, being created back in 1946, um, I, I know I'm partial here, but we certainly have one of the best retirement systems in the country. And as I visit with my colleagues around the country, I'm, I'm uh, um, uh, fully aware um, that that is the case, not only with the benefit structure that's in place, but then also with the, the funding of that retirement system as well. And we are fortunate to be able to provide retirement benefits to over 100,000 uh, former educators and their families uh, on a regular basis. Uh, paying out about $3.4 billion a year in retirement benefits. And uh, we're really just fulfilling the promise uh, that's been made to these educators throughout their career. And there really is a contract uh, with our education community that says that if they will put a full uh, career of service uh, to Missouri's children together, um, then we will provide this high level of retirement benefits to them. And we certainly do that by pre-funding that retirement benefit throughout their career, uh, really with a combination of contributions coming in from their school district as well as the member themselves. And then saving that money, growing that money, and preparing for them to retire someday. And as, as you know, Todd, we have mm -hmm. about a $55 billion uh, trust fund that we uh, that we manage, that we grow, that we invest those dollars around the globe and prepare to fulfill that promise. You know, when we talked back in, uh, I guess it was early spring, mid-spring, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, the legislature was still in session. Matt was, we hadn't seen him for weeks because he'd been living <laughs> at the Capitol. And um, I was wondering, since that time, and, and Matt chime in here as well, has, what has changed and, you know, maybe highlights things that have happened over the, the course of this, this last year? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to relate to legislation, but since we talked last, has there been anything that you see as a highlight or something that's important that we need to, to take notice of? Yeah, whenever you, you manage a $55 billion trust yes. fund, you're obviously invested in the markets. And so we keep a very close eye on the economy, on the, 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 the global markets to, to see what's going on on that front and, and how that will impact our investments. Uh, we've kept a close eye on the Federal Reserve. As a matter of fact, they're meeting again today, mm -hmm. uh, possibly increasing interest rates once again. Uh, the markets have responded uh, surprisingly well to all of the interest rate increases. You know, if we go back one year ago, I think most economists would have expected that we would be in a recession by now, uh, possibly a deep recession. Uh, we're not. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's certainly a good thing and, and shows some resiliency. And we also saw in the latter part of the fiscal year, uh, as we approached June 30, the markets really bounced back nicely. So we ended up with a, a pretty decent fiscal year, um, especially based on all the volatility that we've seen over the last couple years coming out of COVID. We won't have those numbers officially uh, until closer to Labor Day, possibly during our late August uh, board meeting. But we were pretty happy with the way that the fiscal year ended. Uh, and then obviously on the legislative front, as as we'll talk about with, with Matt, um, we were able to provide some good things, I think, for not only the retirement system, but of course for our members, for our retirees, and then also to protect the systems um, from anything that would be harmful or really kind of limit our autonomy in investing the trust fund. So let's go ahead and narrow down to uh, talking talking about Senate Bill 75 and Senate Bill 20. Matt, I, I was wondering if maybe you could give us kind of a brief overview of, of what we're going to be discussing for the majority of the podcast. Yeah, I think uh, as we look back at the last legislative session, there weren't a lot of bills passed. Um, and as it relates to education, um, there were very few bills mm-hmm. passed. Um, and it seemed like Uh, As session got bottled up, um, one issue that continued to kind of be pushed to the forefront and continued to move um, were basically two retirement bills that were identical, that ended up being identical uh, in form. Um, One of those sponsored by Senator Rusty Black, uh, who's a former educator and a member of PSRS Mm -hmm. system uh, as well. So really we had... um, some good legislation come out of the session uh, and you know a lot of that was due to all of the education community kind of working together to push that um, MSDA's government relations team as well as PSRS um, as well as some of the other uh, education groups all kind of working together and honestly Todd some of these issues that we worked on in Senate Bill 20 and Senate Bill 75 um, have been in the works for over 10 years mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's, it's legislation sometimes can go fast, um, but sometimes it does take a really long time to get things done and kind of, even with everyone pushing in the same direction, it, it can be difficult. So yeah, we can get into uh, Senate Bill 75 and Senate Bill um, 20. There's about four different provisions that really impact um, educators and we can go, th- go through a few of those. Okay. Um, I think probably first and foremost is uh, the 2.55% um, factor, retirement factor, for those who have 32 or more years of service. So I don't know, Daryl, I think you've been around since, um, I think 2014 was the last time that the legislation, uh, legislation sunset. Mm-hmm. And so we had people from 2001 until 2014 that were able to get an increased factor Right. when they retired if they had 31 or more years of service. Right. And so from 2014 until, well, I guess it'll be next year. Yeah, August 28th of, uh, of 23. Um, we will, we've had people that don't really know about 2.55 if they fall within that 2014 to, to next month's gap. Right, right. Um, so kind of what does that mean to people? Um, what will retirees kind of expect? Uh, I guess there's a lot of questions about yeah. the 2.55, but I guess that's kind of a good place to start. 
Yeah, you know, when you go all the way back to 2001 and this 2.55% concept uh, went into place, first of all, I guess I have to level set the baseline. Mm -hmm. Most folks know that with PSRS, when we calculate a retirement benefit, uh, we, we look at your final average salary, we look at the amount of service that you accrued, and then we multiply that by a little number that's set in law, and that is 2.5%. So that's a normal retirement calculation. Well, in 2001, uh, the legislature said, well, what if we give a little bit more, 2.55% in the calculation, to those that work 31 years or more? And so obviously that makes for a slightly larger retirement benefit. And in turn, the hope is that members will work just a little bit longer and that it will provide a, a bit of an incentive to remain in the classroom. Well, when that law was created in, in 2001, it always had a sunset. Mm -hmm. And that sunset was uh, renewed, re-upped a number of different times until finally it did really sunset in, in 2014. So as, as Matt, you, you can probably uh, sympathize as well, we, we've received questions ever since then, when is that 2.55 gonna come back and how do we get it back? And it's been a it's been a communications uh, battle, shall I say, over at the Capitol, uh, because for us as a retirement system, you would think at first blush that paying more money with a 2.55 costs the retirement system, when in reality it does not. It actually saves the retirement system a little bit of money. Now. Again, you're, you're saying, how could it save yeah. the retirement? So yeah, Todd's like, okay, tell tell me the rest All of right, the story. Carol, whatever. <laughs> um, but it does save the retirement system money in, in really four different ways. Because if we can incent a, a person to continue working a little bit longer, then that money that would otherwise be paid out as a retirement benefit stays in the trust fund. Okay. So let's say that you decide in this case, uh, with the new 255 legislation, you have to have 32 years of service in place. So let's say that you decide to stay another two or three years. And let's say that your annual retirement benefit was going to be $50,000. Well, that's 50000 times two years, $100,000, that stays in the trust fund that isn't going to be paid out. Okay. So while we're going to pay you a little bit larger of an overall benefit, we just saved two years of benefits. Plus, that money stayed invested. It stayed invested in the trust fund, and we have a 7.3% assumed rate of return. So we receive that that return on that as well. Plus, over those two years, you continue to contribute, and your school district continue to contribute to PSRS, and that money went into the trust fund as well. And then fourth, you delayed, essentially, your first cost of living allowance for two years in your life. And you, your, your date of death isn't changing. Mm -hmm. And so you just squeezed that time in retirement a little bit. And from a retirement system perspective, that is, that is a cost savings. Yeah. You, you notice, Matt, most of the time you, Daryl was looking at me because I'm the one that needed to, <laughs> needed to be taught what that actually, how that actually worked. But that makes sense. I mean, when you explain it that way, I think, oh, okay. And so you, you may not even know the answer to this question, but did that make a difference? Are people, would people, are people staying longer in, in the profession or... Yeah. And, and maybe time will tell, maybe we don't know yet. I, I think the answer is that time will tell. Okay. What I can tell you from kind of an anecdotal perspective is that the conversations that we have with people, it factors into their thought process. Okay. And they do talk to us uh, a great deal about that. Like, well, 
What if I did stay? That's a conversation they're having around the kitchen table. What if I did stay and receive that? What would that look like? And they contact our office and they run benefit estimates uh, or they go onto our website, which is a great place, by the sure. way, to run benefit estimates and, and, and look at those types of calculations. What if I stay a couple more years? And so it certainly, uh, I think, is a factor in that thought process. And I think we, you know, we get a lot of calls yes. at MSTA about that too. Um, and anecdotally, um, you know, since sessions ended, I've had a number of people contact saying, I think I'm going to stay another couple of years or at leadership. When I talk yes. to members, mm-hmm. I'm going to stay another year or two. Uh, I think I see a benefit. I think part of, um, you know, as we talk about this provision and then some of the other ones, I think the legislature looked at it as this is another piece of that recruitment and retention yeah. tool in the toolbox, if you will. Yeah. Um, but looking at how can we keep those veteran teachers in and I think some of the legislature looked at it as maybe if we keep some of those veteran teachers in a few extra years, some of the other policies that we're working on the other side as we're trying to recruit you know, more students into the teaching profession, mm-hmm. as we're doing Grow Your Own programs, some of those can kind of work their way into fruition and we can see uh, buy a little time mm-hmm. um, on the other side. So mm-hmm. I think having some of those wins really helped us this year um, too to be able to say, uh, this is another thing that we need in that overall policy of recruitment and retention. Yeah, and that, I mean, when you and I have done interviews, that's what we've talked about is that you're keeping experience in your school district. You're keeping individuals that understand the, the value of public education, how that functions and what that looks like in your community, mm-hmm. um, rather than feeling like you're starting from scratch every year when you're bringing in new, new teachers, which we need, but we also yep. need that experience as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I think that theme really resonated this year. And I think what the, the legislature picked up on is that we can use the retirement system as a tool in the toolbox mm-hmm. uh, to, to help uh, with that retention and to, to help with that, uh, that experience level that needs to remain in the classroom. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's always been a big goal of the retirement system, right? Exactly. To, to, to recruit and retain. Yep. And, and make sure Since that day one. we have quality educators. Yep. Do, you, do you want to talk about the specifics with the critical um, shortage, the, the changes? Because I don't know if everybody understands what, what that means. I mean, there's, of course, a ramification for um, PSR's peers or, or for PSRS, but mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody knows the, the specifics. Yeah, I think so. Um, I can just talk a little bit about kind of what the legislation did. Yes. Daryl yeah. can mention kind of how they're going to implement yeah, it. Sure. Um, but under critical shortage, so districts could bring back retired um, PSRS peers members, bring them back into a full-time position. And those individuals who are retired could work in that position and still receive their, their entire retirement benefit, regardless of how many hours they worked. Mm-hmm. If they weren't in a critical shortage position, then they would fall under the rules of working after retirement. Okay. So under the critical shortage. And I think that's, that's an important distinction to make because I don't think everybody understands that, that they're, that, that term critical shortage is, is important to keep in mind um, for a district because I think there are some out there that think, oh, I can just go back to, to work in my district and teach the same class I was teaching two years ago. And that's well, not the case. And right? with, with some of these recruitment, uh, recruitment and retention efforts, um, 
there've been a number of changes to work after retirement and it gets very complicated um, on what positions you're filling um, and also what positions you had when you retired. So if you were a peers member or a PSRS member and then what position you're going back into. So Mm -hmm. things, um, I think things are a little more complicated than just saying, 550, 50%, which used to be kind of the, the golden rule was you can't work more than 550 hours. Um, and then, you know, once you hit that limit, you, you, you're going to lose your benefit. So mm-hmm. things are a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. I think the system does a really good job of kind of outlining, outlining those questions on their website. Mm-hmm. You can go on there and say, this is what I'm doing. This is where I was. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives you what your limits are. But back to the critical shortage, um, I think really we're looking at those retirees that are going back to work full time in a position that the district has declared critical shortage. So there's a few things that the district has to do. You mentioned, you know, they can't just go back basically to their own position. So I don't know if you want to talk about kind of what critical shortage looks like and and kind of how that legislation impacted it. Yeah, critical shortage has been in place for for a number of years, um, and it really requires the district to declare that there's a critical shortage for a specific position. And it really requires the district to check a few boxes before they make that declaration. And, and number one, they, they need to be a district that has not offered a retirement incentive in the last couple of years. Uh, so you don't want to okay. incentive people to leave and then say, hey, wow, there's mm-hmm. a critical shortage. Um, so they can't have that in place. They also have to show good faith in order to fill that position uh, with a non-retiree and go through the process of posting that position for a month, uh, solicit those applications, review those applications, and go through a good faith effort to try to fill it with a, a non-retiree. And then when they, they aren't unable to do that, they could declare a critical shortage and fill that uh, with, with a retiree. And again, as Matt said, have it not uh, impact that retiree's uh, retirement benefit. Um, so for years, there was a limit of 24 months, or mm-hmm. two years of critical shortage. And now with this legislation, that has been expanded uh, to four years or 48 months uh, that a person could serve in that critical shortage. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing some people that have already exhausted their 24 months of critical shortage work in their retirement, and they're waiting for this legislation to kick in after August 28th, and they're saying, hey, maybe I'll come back and and look for a critical shortage opportunity or help my local school district uh, with that opportunity. So would it be an additional four years then from, so they would only have two years? It would just be an additional two. Okay. Yeah, it would be an additional 24 months for for those individuals. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's certainly one of those areas that is, uh, it's a really good thing for districts that need it. Uh, It is one that is not utilized a great deal across the state historically. I mean, think about all the PSRS positions, all the certified positions in the state. We are close to about 80,000 positions in the state. Grand total, we used to average about 150 in the critical shortage from year to year. It would vary from year Mm -hmm. to year, but 150. So it's a really, really small percentage. Now those numbers are up a little bit over the last couple years because of the need that is is out there. I just uh, looked at some numbers this morning and last year that number was up from the normal 150 up to about 250 okay. for last school year and this school year that we just completed we're going to be more around the 450 to 500 okay. with critical shortage wow. now that's a huge percentage mm-hmm. increase it's still a very small percentage in the grand scheme of all of our membership when you think about sure. 
we have 534 employers that are part of PSRS peers. And when you think about roughly 450 to 500 critical shortage positions, that's not, not too bad. So this time next year, it would be a really interesting conversation mm -hmm. to see where we were for this 23-24 school year. Yeah, and part of, the, part of the legislation also expanded the amount of educators that could come back Mm -hmm. um, and work under that critical shortage in, a, in, a, in an individual district. Yes. So you might see an expansion of that number because where a district might have been able in the past to only bring back five mm -hmm. teachers under critical shortage um, under the legislation, they might have some more wiggle room to bring in more yeah. educators. Yeah, there was an amendment on that piece of legislation that really expanded it for our larger school districts. So we could look at their total population of staff and we could allow them to have critical shortage positions up to 1% of that. So if you take a, a school district that has 3,000 uh, employees, they could have up to 30 uh, critical shortage positions there uh, under this under this provision. So certainly uh, the, the old five and five model, five mm -hmm. PSRS and five peers, was maybe not the best fit for some of our larger districts. Before I forget, re retire our um, substitute teachers. Mm -hmm. I know that there, this doesn't apply to substitute teachers, but there's still provisions out there for retired members returning as a substitute, correct? Yeah, so okay. um, last year mm -hmm. in, uh, in the legislative session, uh, legislature basically passed um, a law that said that from, let me make sure I get my dates right, um, up until 20... I think it's June 30th of 2025. Yeah. There is a sunset, a waiver that's right. in place. So work after retirement limits wouldn't apply to those that are working as a substitute teacher. So retirees that are working in a position as a substitute teacher mm -hmm. wouldn't have a work after retirement limit. Okay. Um, but couldn't come in and work as a full-time educator. Right. Um, you know, you can't just fill any position. You have to be working as a substitute teacher. It wouldn't apply for anyone working in um, peers positions mm -hmm. um, either. So it would have to be a substitute teaching position. Yeah, or filling in for a principal or assistant principal. Those are not really substitute teaching positions. And the other area that I say be careful on the on the substitute waiver is that if it's a part-time position, we, we do see it where retirees come back and maybe they're teaching just one class. And if they're teaching that one class, that 550 hours is still gonna apply to them because that's their class. They're not mm -hmm. subbing. Um, and and they're, they're doing that and maybe have been doing that for years. You know, and I have to I have to say, and I, Matt, so Daryl, just for a second, mm -hmm. the uh, teaching association part of us has to mention that we recognize that this is helpful and it's important to our, our public school system in Missouri, but there are other things that we need to be doing. Salary is the obvious one mm -hmm. when it comes to retaining and recruiting new teachers. And so this is just one part of a larger picture that we need to address. And I mean, Matt does it all the time. So. And I think as we talked about, you know, we talk to members and we do surveys and we hear what are, what are issues within your district and, you know, quality of life is obviously a huge one for, for educators. And, you know, something we commonly heard was we can't find subs. I can't, I can't come to your capital day visit yeah. and advocate because we can't find subs. Yeah. We have half of our calendar blacked out that we can't take we can't take personal days because we can't find subs. So, you know, this is something that the legislature took and responded and said, worked with the retirement system, said, hey, can we have at least have a few years 
We don't want to drastically change people's yeah. behavior because we know that's expensive to the system. Exactly. But what can we put in the law to give give a little more time? See see what happens, see what happens to people's behaviors and and hopefully that gets back to the school district level as a benefit. Yeah. We you know, we talked about the fact when we go through our list here of things that we're covering, we're having a conversation about before we began, Gerald said, you know, I, I think each of the topics you have, we could do a good hour on each of those. <laughs> and so we're jumping from topic to topic and trying to cover an awful lot in a half hour. But we appreciate everybody trying to keep up with us. And of course, we'll have Daryl back in the in the future to have more conversations. If I take him to get coffee, maybe he'll... he'll hey, that's all it takes. Just a cup of coffee. That's and I it. appreciate that. Do you want to talk about the COLA at all or... Um, I think there's one other thing in that okay. bill that we probably should talk about, even though it gets very in the weeds and complicated. And I think I usually lose myself and catch my tail um, trying to explain it. Um, but the change was made to uh, increase the amount, the earnings limit for PSRS retirees who return to work in peers position. So right. we have kind of a multi-tier work after retirement limit. We have PSRS retirees working in PSRS positions. Then we also have PSRS retirees working in peers positions who under previous law um, had a limit of, was it 16,500 now? It was 15,000, correct? It was 15. So 15, uh, they could make up to $15,000 or 60% of the minimum teacher's salary which was 25 right so um the legislature came back um and said what can we do to try to raise that what i heard from a lot of our members uh was that that amount of money that dollar limit would sometimes still not enable someone to come back and say drive the bus routes Mm -hmm. and by Mm -hmm. may early may couple weeks before school gets out, um, they would have exhausted their work after retirement time. Um, and so, especially if that individual was, was receiving um, any kind of healthcare benefit from the district, mm-hmm. because that has to be calculated into their um, work after retirement earnings. Mm-hmm. So the legislature came back and said, let's raise that limit. Uh, let's raise that amount of uh, that PSRS retirees who are working in peers positions can make. Uh, and so that number was raised to, was it 28,000? 28,249 this year. Okay. And it'll be inflated. It'll continue to go up over time. And so, yeah, so it'll be indexed to um, the Social Security limit. It's in federal rule yes, and regulation. Yes, the Social Security limit that, that pertains to taking early retirement under Social Security. Uh, you do have some salary limitations and how much you can earn and not jeopardize your Social Security benefit. And Senator Black, uh, who's been very instrumental on this bill, wanted to peg that dollar amount to something so that it would inflate over time. And so he tied it to, to that number. Um, and, and I think it does a nice job of that. That number this year is 21240 um, And then he added the component that said that that limit could be 133% of that number, which is how we get to that 28000 and change, and that that could stay in place uh, for five years roughly until June 30th of, of 2028. 
in order to try to fill that need. You know, you really have to go back on this one all the way back to 2018 when at the time Representative Black, uh, same individual who <laughs> moved to the Senate, uh, but Representative Black um, sponsored this bill and we affectionately called it the bus driver bill. And that was how can we get uh, retired PSRS members to come back and work in these non-certified mm -hmm. positions, like a bus driver, for example. Um, and it is really treated by our retirement system as a different track, if you will. Uh, so before we got into these waiver, sub waivers and critical shortage and stuff, you, you really just had that 550 hour limit and that 50% of salary limit. But we treated these as two different tracks, which is the non-certified track, as well as the 550 hour track. And so people would work after retirement and really work in both of those tracks. But this certainly expands that a little bit more during this time. And we see it quite often, not just with bus drivers, but with filling front office positions. We see it with coaching positions that uh, many mm -hmm. times do not require a teaching certificate. And I think it's really nice because they don't have to count their hours. And they're able just to come and do their work, do a great job, and uh, not necessarily quote unquote clock in and clock out, but just keep an eye on the uh, on the salary and, and track it that way. And yeah. I, I'm going to take a second to editorialize, but um, and Daryl doesn't have to chime in because he has his own board to answer to, and and they have their own policies. But you know, at, at MSTA, we certainly support going away from that hours limit and going towards an, an earnings limit on working after retirement. And I think just because it's so much easier to know exactly how much money you've made. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it gets difficult and convoluted if you're working in multiple districts for multiple employers, exactly how much time did I work? How much are you counting this? Uh, how do I count these hours? Am I going to get close to 550? Because it's a dramatic penalty you lose your benefit for that month when you go over that 550 hours. So at MSCA, we, we really liked what Representative Black put together and uh, we'll continue to advocate moving towards an earnings limit. Um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of questions that we've sent to the system for, with questions. Uh, we sent them questions, got a lot of uh, input and, and data, and I think we're still a ways off from, from pushing legislation to do that. But I think that that's, that's long-term, something we're going to continue to push. You know, we've talked a lot about teachers today and, and having teachers, trying to recruit them back into the classroom and figuring out ways to do that. But what I appreciated, and we just now talked about it, what Senator Black talked about in interviews in early July was bus drivers. And we sometimes forget the shortage that we have with bus drivers, with um, custodians with front office right. employees and and so there there is every bit a challenge there trying to get those individuals into your school district as it is getting teachers into your school district so I, I appreciated what he said because I don't think that the general population always thinks about the other individuals you need in a school district to keep that school district oh yeah functioning absolutely and so I, I appreciate the comments he's made and we see a number of districts that are going to those staff members and trying to um, kind of work with them to become educators, wow. certificated educators to work in the classroom uh, as, as a full-time certificated staff. I know, I know that it's getting really hard to hire paras and districts are looking at paras and saying, well, we can send you to a few classes and, and get you your certificate. And mm -hmm. so that strains that, that 
system um, of those peers employees even yeah. more. Yeah, we're we are spending a lot of time. That's fine. We can we can talk for days, but we <laughs> won't do that to Daryl. Um, what else do you want to talk about? To I think just talk um, real quick if we can just talk kind of about where we're at on the um, on on the cola yeah. on the cost of living adjustment. Um, I know that is always on members' minds um, and and kind of if you want to just walk through kind of where we're at and Mm -hmm. where you think maybe we'll be um, in the next year, just kind of how that impacts the system because, you know, we do get a lot of questions and we've had a a few years where um, we've now had colas for um, uh, three years in a row, two years in a row. Looks like three probably. Yeah, this will be the fourth year with a pretty nice cola. And I think at one point there was concern that, We'd never issue another cola from from the system, and and members would wouldn't see any kind of uh, adjustment, and things really changed quick. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have to step back on this cola topic because the cost of living allowance is one of the most valuable and expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, I, I say that uh, on both fronts. It's one of the most valuable components of the retirement benefit package. I always say that when you build a retirement system and you build a benefit package, it kind of reminds me of the sticker, the price sticker on the side of a new car. And you look at all the components of that new car. And maybe if you choose that new car and it has four wheel drive feature, that's a really expensive component. But maybe the floor mats are not quite as expensive. But every element of that car costs something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the same thing with a retirement benefit. And when you look at which components cost the most out of a retirement package, your COLA is right up there at the very top. And that is because that, that, that benefit amount, that, that dollar amount that increases the size of that benefit, it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a one-time check. It's an amount that continues to compound throughout that person's lifetime. So the COLA is a, is a very important feature. Um, it is one that is uh, defined in the statute. And then it provides our board with a little bit of discretion on that COLA amount based on where inflation is, inflation in our country. So that's a a number that we monitor on a regular basis as well. And as you mentioned, over the last couple years, uh, we paid out a a 2% COLA. The last two years, we've paid a 5 and a 5% COLA in January of 22 and January of 23. And it looks like this upcoming year, just based on the inflation data that's coming in, our board won't set this until October of 23, but it looks like we're heading toward a 2% COLA in January of 24 as well. Now on the, on the COLA front, um, it is interesting because as I talk to my colleagues around the country, um, it is becoming more and more rare with public retirement systems to have a COLA in place like we have. I was just at a meeting recently with 21 other executive directors from other teacher retirement systems across the country. And we all went around and talked about what was on the forefront at our retirement system. And I brought up the fact that over the last two years, we paid a 5% COLA and a 5% COLA. They looked at me like I was some sort of Martian because it is not something that they've been able to do at their retirement system. And incidentally, many of them have retirement systems and benefit packages that say they either do not pay a COLA or it's only paid at the complete discretion of the board when it can be afforded, or it says that it's at the complete discretion of their legislature. 
And there was an article that I shared with my group that I spoke to this week coming out of Pennsylvania, talking about the Pennsylvania retirement system. They've gone 20 years without a cost of living allowance. And the calculation that the retiree group performed is said that their retirement benefit has lost 50% of its value over the last 20 years because that COLA was not there for them. So again, it's, it, it's a very expensive feature, uh, but it is a very important feature. And it's one that we as a retirement system in those last two years paying the 5% and the 5%, we were expecting to pay a two and a two but to pay two 5% in a row, it did cost the system about $1.7 billion in additional liability because of that inflation that we're seeing across the country. Um, that's, that's tough from a retirement system perspective, mm -hmm. although I love going out and talking to our members because they are very happy with us and I usually get a round of applause and that feels really good uh, when we talk about a 5% COLA, but it, it's certainly a very expensive feature of the, the I package. think as we talked to, you know, as we talk to teachers and knowing that the retirement system is going to be there, right. that, that we've seen all, we've seen a lot of things over the last 15 years Oh yeah, um, that never thought would happen, <laughs> that happened, um, you know, 20 years, if you want to say that, the last 20 years, 25 years, you want to go back to the dot-com yeah. bubble. Oh, absolutely. Um, but the, the system is safe. And secure, and I think that it's really great that as we talk to members, what they continually tell us is, "I'm overwhelmed. I don't have room to think about anything else." Yeah. And their retirement is one thing that they don't have to constantly think about. And with a cola policy in place as it is, yeah, they can know that, you know, they're going to not just have a quality retirement, but they're going to have something that's going to be able to keep up with inflation and they're not just going to retire at x amount of dollars they're going to continue to be able to have um, a quality retirement a quality life after after working yes so important uh, and absolutely is the case with with psrs and peers you know we appreciate you coming and and, and talking to us explaining talking a little bit more about the cola how that affects our, our members how it affects my mom so <laughs> who is a member yeah um yeah, yeah. <laughs> um is there, as we start to wrap up, is there anything, we, we've asked you a lot of questions, Daryl, are, are there anything, anything that we haven't talked about or anything you want to mention as we kind of wrap things up and, and finish up? Well, I like what Matt said. And, and every time I, I, I reflect on our retirement system from a really a, a macro level and a high level, the one word that comes to, to my head is that I'm thankful. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful that we have in place in Missouri what we have in place. I'm thankful that the retirement system has been pre-funded to the level that it is with over 85% pre-funded on PSRS side, uh, over 87% pre-funded on the peer side. I'm thankful that our members and our school districts have always paid into the retirement system exactly what's been asked of them in order to properly fund the system. Um, there's so many elements to be thankful for. And whenever I go out and I meet with retirees and, and I hear their stories, um, it, it is just, it, it certainly warms your heart 
to hear that level of retirement security that you just talked about, Matt, where they don't have to worry about their retirement. They didn't have to worry about it while they were actively teaching and just overwhelmed by the day-to-day grind of, of what they needed to accomplish. And again, they don't have to worry about that and whether or not the check is going to be there from PSRS or peers throughout their retirement years. So um, certainly the word thankful comes into my head when I think about the systems. Matt, is there anything you want to say as we wrap up? Um, you know, I just think that the system does an incredible job. And for those listening, um, you know, they should know it's it's e- easier than ever to reach out to the retirement system. I always direct people, if you have questions, contact the system because they'll work with you. Um, I think out of all the education groups, we've, we've really worked hard to highlight um, some of the good work that the system's doing. And I think we've seen over the last five or six years, we're in a position now that I, I think we never really thought we would be where we're enhancing benefits to the system um, that are actually saving the system money. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a wildly coordinated um, effort to try to dismantle the system that we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even among the legislature, in the legislature, I, I think that it's probably the most well-regarded defined benefit plan in the state. And that doesn't happen on accident. That's that's hard work from the system. That's a coordinated effort by kind of everyone to make sure that um, we're all on the same page um, and they're making sure that they listen to the associations and listen to the members uh, to, to, to make sure that everyone's kind of pulling in the same direction and making sure there's a good benefit. As always, I will make sure to put the, the website, uh, the URL in, in the show notes so that people can, and most of the people listening obviously know how to get to PSRS Peers website, but you never know. So I want to make sure that everybody has access and they know where you're located online. Yeah. Um, but Daryl, as always, we appreciate you being willing to to join us, to, to help us kind of uh, uncover some of the other information, understand it better. And uh, I, hopefully I can we, we can get you back at some point in the future. Hey, we have a great relationship with MSTA, and we have for many, many years. And and working with individuals like like like, like Bruce and mm-hmm. Matt, and of course you, Todd, uh, it's just a great relationship, and we value that. Well, we appreciate it. We know that things are getting ready to uh, get pretty busy out there. I, I know that there are some school districts already where new teachers have uh, started back, and uh, there will be more districts where everybody starts back in the coming weeks. If there's anything that we can do to help you feel free to email any of us. Uh, I'll put my email address in the show notes as well. And if you have questions, email me and I'll make sure to get the questions to the right people if I can't answer them. So thank you for joining us. A little longer uh, show than we normally do, but the information's important. So we appreciate you sticking with us. And uh, look for the shows to start increasing. I say that because that puts me on the spot to actually make the show start to increase uh, over the coming weeks. And uh, we hope that everybody has a, a great experience heading back to the classroom. Thanks for listening.